Greetings, travelers! Welcome back to Tales from the Enchanted Forest with your hosts, Fox and Sparrow. Fox, I, I was thinking, at the time that this episode goes up, it's gonna be, like, just before December. So, should this be, like, a holiday festive episode? Like, what are the rules of when we have to start putting up, like, holiday-themed episodes? As soon as December hits. We monetize on the SEO of Christmas, winter, Santa Claus. But until then, we're fine to just do, because I don't really think there are any Thanksgiving stories that we really want to talk about. Um, But I think this is a nice free zone of we can talk about whatever we want as long as it's cozy and comfy. And I guess that's the only requirement for November. Okay, because, you know... I like go on social media, I go to YouTube, and I'm already seeing all the themes going up, and I was getting nervous being like, oh no, I have this story already, but it's not a holiday story. Should I rebrand everything as like a winter <laughs> theme somehow? Like, oh no, what should I do? But what you're telling me is worse cool for one last free-for-all before the holiday obligatory episodes. Yes. All right. And I think... You know, as soon as Halloween's over, I'm done with all my autumn stuff. I want my Christmas things. And if anyone's been following my my Animal Crossing journey, I did cave and start putting up some Christmas stuff. Oh, so, my. So my entire plan of finishing my island in the, in the fall and then switching over, um, putting it on like a, a dream address, that's, that's gone. As soon as I realized that I'm not going to be able to play until December, I decided there's no point. I'm done with autumn. Mm-hmm. It's already snowing here, so it's it's time to bust out all of my festive trees in various colors and change everything that I just put <laughs> up into Christmas things. I think that leads to a good segue to talk about what we're currently doing. And I'm <laughs> going to go first this time and say... Previously, after like we recorded our last episode, uh, mm-hmm. we we took extra time and you showed me your island on Animal Crossing and I visited. It was quite cute. But that visit triggered something in me and I realized I need to fix my island. <laughs> so <laughs> This is now an Animal Crossing podcast. Forget about the fairy tales. Well, okay. To be fair, I'm doing like a medieval esque area of my island so i feel like that's kind mm-hmm. of fairy tale related um trying to make a full-on castle area and like a kind of castle town marketplace area is the goal right now and that's what i'm currently digging up and re terraforming my island to be but i think after playing that uh that day with you i realized how tired i was with making super moral and gray decisions in Baldur's Gate 3 and I was like you know there's no wrong answers here in Animal Crossing everyone's chill and happy no one's killing each other so it's kind of been a little bit of a a a small break from Baldur's Gate 3 um it's still good it's just there's a lot of heavy decisions and decisions I made in Act Mm 1 are coming back to haunt me right about now so and you just want the simplicity I just need the simplicity of controlling my own island and just hang out with animal companions that are just like talking that little voice. It's great. So that's kind of what I've been up to. See, that's perfect. 
I have also just been streaming a whole bunch of videos of because I'm trying to decide what my next big, I guess, game is going to be. Mm-hmm. So I've been looking up um, Moonstone Island, Sunhaven. There is a night market one that looks really cool. Uh, Fay Farm. I will not be buying Dreamlight Valley because I think <laughs> it's a money-making scheme and I do not support that. But also, I just... There's something that gets lost in microtransactions and stuff like that. And I've heard a lot of criticism of things that Disney promised and never came to be. And I can't live that roller coaster. I don't want to get addicted to a game just to realize that things are behind a money wall. But besides gaming, something I'm really into at the moment is um, books, as always. And this time it is Percy Jackson, once again, in preparation for December 20th when the new series will launch, which I'm very hopeful about because Rick Royden himself is part of the team that's helping make it. So I'm really, really hoping we get the thing I've always wanted, which is a Percy Jackson series that mirrors kind of the Harry Potter series of movies where it's just you grow old with the characters, they grow up, they age up as the seasons go. And because of the series, I'm really hoping they get to mention all of the fun stuff and really build everything up to the big climax. Mm -hmm. But because of Percy Jackson, um, I've been looking into some of the other books. So Rick Riordan has kind of this thing called Rick Riordan Presents, which is part of the Disney publishing family. And once again, I will not support Disney's Dreamlight Valley, (laughs) but I do like the Disney publishing. Very selective on our Disney support. Well, we're... It's really hard to support them but also not support them because everything I like is very Disney-esque like Pixar is Disney um the Disney movies Disney plus it's it's annoying trying to boycott Mm -hmm. a big magnet company like this but I will make a small stand against Disney uh, Dreamlight Valley and I really really hope they don't start doing the lack of um I think it's like the screen sharing thing that Netflix did what wait what Say that again. Like the, uh, what was it that next? Ugh. Oh, the ads tier? Are you talking about the ads tier? No. The family sharing. Oh, yeah, the anti-family sharing. I really hate that. They just started that, and it's like I shared my password with my sister, and she used it for niece's, like, entertainment value, and now we're trying mm-hmm. to figure out if it's worth me having it, because I don't watch it a ton these days. Um... But she she doesn't know if she wants to pay for it, you know? So Yeah, and then they also just keep increasing the prices. And I feel like there's less actual content that I want to watch. Yeah. It's mainly just rewatching old stuff, like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and things like that. So I'm at an impasse with this. But back to what I'm talking about. So <laughs> what I really, really loved about the Percy Jackson series is that it explores Greek mythology. But, you know, growing up, it's always interesting to see that Greek mythology is always at the forefront and other mythologies kind of get pushed backwards. So with this kind of publication system, it's a whole bunch of middle grade slash young adult books that focus on different cultures mythology. And you have, I guess, protagonists who are from that culture or who are, you know, um, biracial or who are immigrants or whatever but they get to explore their culture and their mythology and so you have indian mythology you have aztec um you have japanese korean 
So one of the ones I'm currently obsessed with is Tristan Strong, and it's uh, Tristan Strong Punches a Hole in the Sky. And it's African-American legends. You have a whole bunch of just different humor and action from different characters that get to explore these cultures and these myths and these gods in a way that Percy Jackson does. So that's something that I hope some of our viewers can check into because it's something that I think we need. We need our kids to be reading mythology from their own like cultures, but from other cultures. And mm-hmm. there's so much out there besides just Greek mythology. So it's interesting to kind of see these authors being highlighted and being able to showcase their own backgrounds. So that's what I'm into at the moment. Very nice. Yeah. But also, you know, just because I teach middle grade students sometimes and finding books for them is always difficult because they're (laughs) like, well, I want a book about football or I want a book about, you know, ice hockey. And you're kind of like, okay, well, how about I present to you this book about gods and goddesses instead? And they're not into it until you show them the covers and the premise. And then they slowly get get the premise. But yes got to get into those like legends and uh mythology and then eventually get them into fairy tales and then just get them to start listening to our podcast and then you know it's full circle <laughs> well it's just hard because i'm like i the, the, the books i like obviously a middle schooler will not like to some degree so it's always difficult trying to find books that kind of make them interested in reading but that still have substance to them and still teach them something or have I guess some kind of backstory or more to them than just stuff that they want to read that are their experience already because books are the greatest way you can find to become empathetic and I find a lot of kids around that age they really only look at the world through their lens because they're kids that's what you do so it's always interesting to try and find things that kind of broaden their horizons and give them a different experience so that's what I've been doing And I really hope that some of our viewers take a look at these books and other books. And obviously, the best gift you can give for Christmas or during the holidays is a book. And Animal Crossing New Horizons. (laughs) And Animal Crossing New Horizons. Or you can give your villagers books in Animal Crossing New Horizons. Although that will not make their friendship level go up. No. But then you could give them a cute bookshelf and then they might have a bookshelf in their home. And that's that's a cute aesthetic, right? <laughs> Mine just keep putting the clothes I give them up for display in their house. And I'm just like, no, I gave you that to wear, not to display. I mean, one of my villagers bought like a fish for me. And I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. I was going to sell it to Nook, but you can have it. And now it's just sitting there in their place. And I'm like, hmm. Oh, on the floor. I thought you might, like, you know, cook that and eat that, but no, it's going to be displayed in this room, even though you've got an ice theme going, and now you just have this fish in the corner. Hmm. Not sure how I feel about that. Anyways. Yep. I'm almost happy with the ones who just have the one aesthetic and commit to it, like Cephalobot or Peanut. The trick is to never give them any gifts and make sure no one else gives them gifts so that their home stays the exact same. Mm-hmm. Anyways, we both love Animal Crossing. It's definitely been a vibe for us this season. But you know what else has been a vibe for me this year? And pretty much every year is these really cute animal tales. I don't know. There's something about them that I just really love. They start off really simple. And then there's always they always leave me with that feeling of, what did I just read? Uh, 
<laughs> if you want some examples of this, check out the Nigerian animal tales that we did earlier this year. That was um, mm-hmm. a couple of those moments of, what now? What's happening? <laughs> um, anyway, so I just thought I would dig into that well because I really enjoyed it. So... We've gone back to Japan for this story, and it comes from the 1910 book Green Willow and Other Japanese Fairy Tales by Grace James. James was a folklorist and children's writer who specialized in Japanese stories. And in her book, she credits a lot of the stories to the Kojiki, or the Book of Ancient Matters, although as far as our research can tell, this jellyfish story is not specifically in this book, but more so a folktale told through the generations, and you can find a whole bunch of different names for it. But the one that we've gone with is The Jellyfish Takes a Journey. A long, long time ago, jellyfish looked very different than they do today. In those days, their bodies were adorned with sparkling scales. They also had fins and tails, much like other fish that helped them swim in the sea. But they also had little feet that allowed them to walk upon the land. Overall, their form was as round as the full moon and they were considered to be quite beautiful. This description of a jellyfish is just so wildly different from what I think of a modern day jellyfish. And it's just kind of insane and I can't really picture it too well. I always like stories where the animals begin a different way, kind of like the elephant in the Nigerian story, and then the story progresses and we realize, I wonder how this creature is going to become absolutely boneless. (laughs) Yes. What's going to happen so it gets to that state? The jellyfish was a happy fellow and a trusted friend of the dragon king. And for the record, this is an actual dragon that's a king and not a human with a fancy title. Uh, But despite how cool-looking the jellyfish was, and his close relationship with the Dragon King, his granny always said he would not have a happy ending, for he was not a good student and he never did any of his readings. But I'm sure it's fine. Old ladies' predictions never come true in fairy tales. But time went on and soon enough the Dragon King got married to a beautiful young lady dragon. They were quite happy until one day the wife became very ill. She became bedbound and everyone in the kingdom believed that she would soon pass. Doctors from all over were called to treat her sickness, but no matter what they tried, the young queen did not recover. So this is crazy to me. Um, because imagine you are, you know, the dragon emperor or god of the sea, and you finally find love, and then your bride gets sick. And you've just, you've lived for centuries. And then theoretically, your wife should also be living for a couple hundred years. Instead, she gets sick and dies. Or is about to die. This sounds absolutely like a K-drama or a young adult fantasy novel to me. Oh my gosh, yeah. It's like you've waited so long, you had the big wedding, and then she gets (laughs) sick. It always breaks my heart. People are always recommending movies of like, you know newlyweds who like the wife gets sick and maybe she dies and it's I all don't about like watch it <laughs> i don't i'm like i'm sure it's based off a true story i'm fa- sure it's very tragic or whatever but like i can't it's too heartbreaking oh but also it's like this is what happens after the happily ever after you court each other you fall in love maybe you slay a couple people to get your dragon queen and then <laughs> she gets sick and it's completely random and there's no cause for it there's nothing you can do and you are you know this great dragon king you're supposed to be this all-powerful being, and yet 
in the face of illness, you are, you know, kind of trembling with nothing else to do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like they always, they kept repeating the story that she was like a young, like, dragon, like, mm-hmm. lady, you know, that she was this, it was very unusual for someone of her age to have an illness like this. So it was like also just quite mm-hmm. confusing for them as well. So not only is it just heartbreaking because it's happening, but it's also like, why is this happening? The Dragon King was absolutely devastated and told his pale bride that he would give his life for her. But she told him that that wouldn't save her. But if he were to fetch a monkey's liver, she would eat it and live. The Dragon King was shocked by this idea. He told her that they could never get one because monkeys lived in the forest on the surface and they lived deep in the sea. Tears trickled down the Dragon Queen's face. She knew what the king said was true, but all the same knew that if she didn't have a monkey's liver, she would die. Well, the Dragon King wasn't about to lose his beloved bride. So he summoned the jellyfish. Since the jellyfish, remember, the jellyfish has the little feet to go along the land, he told the jellyfish to go retrieve a monkey's liver to cure his wife of her sickness. The jellyfish asked what she would do with the monkey's liver, and the king explained to him that she would eat it. He further explained to the jellyfish to go to the surface world and fetch a monkey, which is said to dwell in forests with tall trees, and he needed to be quick about it. The jellyfish, showing that he might not be much of a thinker himself, asked the king how he should get the monkey to come back with him. The king suggests telling the monkey of all the beauties and wonders that Dragonland has to offer, and that he would be happy here where he could play with the mermaids all day long. With this in mind, the jellyfish set off. He swam and swam until he finally arrived at a shore where very tall trees grew. Shortly after he arrived, he spotted a monkey in the branches who was eating some persimmon fruit. Without missing a beat, the jellyfish quickly approached the monkey. The jellyfish addressed the monkey as a noble monkey and asked if he would come to the palace under the sea with him, the magical dragonland. If I were this monkey, I would have so many questions for this jellyfish. Everything from, who was this jellyfish? What was Dragonland? Was it a theme park? Why did he want to go there? How far was it? Etc. But instead, the monkey just asked, how would he get there? The jellyfish explained that the monkey would ride on his back and he would take him straight there. Nodding, the monkey then asked, why should he go? He was perfectly content living in the trees and he had all he needed. The jellyfish remembered what the king told him and described all the beauties and pleasures that Dragonland had to offer. How the monkey would always be happy there and he could play with mermaids all day long. Well, this got the monkey's attention and he immediately agreed. He tossed the persimmon aside and jumped down from the tree and onto the jellyfish's back. When they were about halfway to Dragonland, the jellyfish let out a laugh. The monkey asked what was so funny, and he told him that he was laughing for joy. 
He explained that when they got to Dragonland, the Dragon King will take the monkey's liver and give it to the Dragon Queen to eat so that she can finally recover from her illness. I mean, this is villain monologuing 101. Don't do it until you actually get to the place. <laughs> he sounds like such like the dumb henchman, you know, to like the, the supervillain just being like, oh, yeah, this is this is the evil plan right now. And you're going to help me fulfill it. <laughs> so, as you can imagine, there was a bit of an awkward pause uh, before the monkey finally said, You need my liver? And the jellyfish confirmed and said, Of course it was needed. The monkey cried out and asked why he didn't say anything sooner, because he doesn't have it on him right now. He explained that his liver is very heavy, so he took it out and hung it on a branch of the persimmon tree they met at. He urged the jellyfish to quickly turn around so that he could retrieve it. So, remember at the beginning of the tale where I explained that he never really paid attention in school and that his grandmother said that he would have a bad end because of it? Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, he didn't learn enough about basic anatomy to see through this monkey's a blatant lie. And I think Grandma is about to be proven right about this. Okay, so this does change how I feel about the, the jellyfish a little bit, because maybe, maybe if he doesn't realize the monkey needs the liver to live, he might think, ah, okay, well, it's not really killing him. He can still live under, under the water without it. Giving me a little bit of hope, maybe? I I mean, so maybe he doesn't understand that he has, he, the monkey would need to die, but then at least if he had a bit more smarts, he could know if like that was the stance he was choosing to make, then he could just go live on the land or something and be like, well, I'm not going back there. I'm totally going to get killed. <laughs> like, I feel like he would have more options at his disposal if he had just understood the situation he was in. Hmm. <laughs> okay. I don't know how I feel about this jellyfish. Maybe he deserves his end. Maybe he doesn't. I just he's just so earnest about it I do kind of love him for it but it's like buddy buddy I, I don't know but I also feel like some of the decisions he's making here is not even based off of book smarts it's like some of this is common sense smarts like even the way that he was asking the king like what is the liver like what's she gonna do with it oh okay um how do you want me to get it it's like you're you're like the you're like the minion. You you should just be acting and just getting stuff done. <laughs> the way he comes across in the story is very not bright. And I'm like, mm. I think some of this is like just street smarts as well. Well, grandma did warn him. Hit those books, kids. So the jellyfish turned around and swam back to the persimmon tree. The monkey quickly leapt up the tree and looked all around. He turned back to the jellyfish and told him that he couldn't see his liver at all and that someone must have stolen it. The sun began to set, so the monkey told the jellyfish to head home and that he would continue to search for his liver. He should find it in a few days so the jellyfish can come get it another time. The jellyfish agreed, and they parted on the best of terms. Unfortunately for the jellyfish, that good feeling was short-lived. When he returned without a monkey, the Dragon King was furious. Jellyfish told him to chill and that he'd have one in a couple of days. He then proceeded to tell his tale. Livid, 
The Dragon King called for his executioners and ordered them to beat the jellyfish until every bone in his body was broken and he was nothing more than jelly. And that's how the jellyfish came to look as they do today. While the jellyfish had a sad fate in the end, there is one happy note that we can end on. When the Dragon Queen heard the jellyfish's story, she began laughing a great deal, so much so that she began to feel better and she was able to get out of bed once more. So she wasn't really deathly ill. She was just suffering from depression, seasonal depression. Get it? See? Ah. Seasonal depression? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, also, seasonal depression because it's uh, cold out and it's dark and there's not enough sunlight, which I'm sure are all problems that exist under the sea as well. See, I wasn't just picking any old story. It was a topical story. (laughs) (laughs) So it does fit the month of November. Yay! Um, but yeah, it does really raise a question at the end. Is it just the the idea of laughter is the best medicine, or is it like was she really that sick to begin with? Like, make the best out of a bad situation. Yeah, it's like well, I didn't get the monkey's liver, but I guess that story will do. Or even just you know, maybe your wife isn't actually really sick. She just wants you to do something really messed up and beat someone till their uh, bones are all broken. Maybe she just wanted the Dragon King to go on a quest for her, but then he just sent one of his guys to do it, and she was like, I wanted you to be heroic. But this is a pretty funny story, so. To be fair, a lot of the Japanese stories we tell on this podcast are messed up in some way, like the tongue-cut sparrow. That was really messed up. Yeah. Um, even the Chinese story of Beauty and Pockface, that was wild. I'm trying to think of what else. We cover a lot of wild stories on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, and those, those are the kinds I like the most, though. I don't, I like, I like the cozy ones. I like the fun ones where, you know, the princess goes and saves the prince because those are usually very tropey and very fun to cover. Um, and lots of countries do different versions of it. But these mm-hmm. wild, just unpredictable stories are my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if we go to the, Remember the Nigerian fairy tale ones that we talked about? Those ones had like a turtle gouging out eyes of an elephant, you know? Like, it's mm-hmm. just like sometimes they take a weird turn and you're like, this is not what I was expecting from this tale, but here we are. No, and something else that I wasn't really expecting um, is this idea of the underwater dragon kingdom. And I know we've talked about underwater dragon kingdoms and water dragons versus fire dragons quite a bit. Have we? Yeah, we did it when we were reviewing, I think it was like Tales from the Box Office when we were doing Raya and the oh, Dragon versus the Wish Dragon. It was a while ago, so that's, it's very old, but I still remember doing all of the research and looking it up because it was quite fascinating that we have these water dragons, um, the the Naga versus the, you know, the way we see dragons in a lot of pop culture, which is the fiery dragon. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's because I'm dragon obsessed at the moment because I'm reading Iron Flame, But it's always cool to see how dragons are depicted and how different mythologies, different stories talk about dragons. Specifically, I think the first time I actually came across the underwater dragon kingdom was when I was going through (laughs) 
a really weird era of just reading lots and lots of the books, not about dragons specifically, but I think it was Korean, um, Chinese, and Japanese folklore retellings that are in like a YA, um, like a YA genre. So I think it was Six Crimson Cranes, The Girl Who Fell Beneath the Sea, and Dragon Pearl were the three that I remember. But it was interesting to see how they use things like the tide ebbing jewels that the Dragon King has, actually going to the Dragon King's palace, having the trope of having to be um, sacrificed or made a bride to the Dragon King or someone from the Dragon Kingdom. Um, But something else I learned during this. So in this story and a lot of stories, the Dragon Palace is underwater. But some of the earlier mentions of the Dragon King's palace was that it used to be a floating city. And specifically during the Edo period, you see illustrations and in stories, you see them traveling to the Dragon Palace, but they have to go up. So they have to go up a mountain or they have to go um, to somewhere where it's like a floating platform. But over time, it's changed to be a sunken city. Ooh, like Atlantis. Yeah, like Atlantis. So it's just kind of cool to see how over time, this city that's supposed to be up in the clouds has become underwater. And our entire kind of definition of this dragon palace has changed from being um, kind of heavenly to being scaly and silver and in the corals. So it's always interesting to me to see how fairy tales change and how stories change. But it'd be cool to see exactly where the transition started. Because I know some people say it was in the 1900s with um, stories and mythologies, retellings that have changed it. But I wonder if there was a time where one picture changed everything or one version of the story changed everything earlier than that. Those are just my two cents. I really like the idea that these decisions came from desperations. If someone was like, mm-hmm. had their child, and be like, tell me more stories. And then the dad was like really tired. And was like, and then the kingdom fell into the sea. And that was the end of that. <laughs> no more questions, sweetie. Let's go to bed. And she's like, but what happened underneath the sea? And he's like, it's where the dragon lived, and he'll eat you if you don't go to bed. Yeah. You know, I just really like to think that those those big altering decisions were made at, like, really tired or times, mm-hmm. but people remember being like, so follow up on that idea, and you're like, oh, dang. Um, or even just one artist. It's also, like, cool to think that, like, one artist could have, you know, taken an image and then changed the way that they saw it. So instead of having, you know, silver clouds and silver linings and... Um, maybe moonlight or whatever it is that was giving it the silver color, they changed it to scales. And then that's just become the standard. So, but going back to our jellyfish story, I really like animal explanation tales. I think we talked about that before, but I think this one was new to me, like kind of thinking of, like I would never have thought that, oh yeah, a jellyfish is a jellyfish because someone broke all of its bones in its body. Like that makes sense now, but I would have never thought of that. And um, I really like how it's very clear the moral takeaway here was stay in school, kids. <laughs> like, that to me was just really funny. Like, that was so clear. This person telling the story was like, okay, my child is not paying attention, not getting an education. How do I scare them into making sure they, like, stay in school? It's very old school kind of stories where, I mean, I say old school. Of course, this story is probably older than our entire Older than school. Canada. But, <laughs> <laughs> but when you think about stories like this, it's always interesting to see like, well, who is the audience? And here it's quite clear from the beginning since they mentioned the grandma talking about how he's not very bright, how he didn't do well in school, didn't do his readings. Those are the consequences. 
you end up boneless and your entire, you know, generations of jellyfish now have you to blame for the way that they look. Yeah. And a monkey's going to make a fool of you. Well, I do like the idea of monkeys as tricksters because, I mean, they're really seen as more serene, as mediators. You have the journey to the West where there is an element of trickery, but it's more so, you know, he's the protagonist. So it's interesting to see the monkey as a trickster in this Japanese story. And I'm sure there are other ones with, you know, I think there's one with a crab um, where he tries to trick the crab as well. But as I think we talk about it before, we talk about tricksters a lot, but I think it's because the way they trick their counterparts is always just out of the box. It's never just, you know, a simple um, roadrunner kind of trick. It's always just, well, actually, Roadrunner's tricks weren't very simple. No. I guess it's I'm think I guess I'm thinking of more like Tweety and Sylvester. Like it's not those kind of tricks. It's more roadrunnery, where they're so convoluted that by the end of it, you're kind of wondering, what was the original point of this? Oh uh, man! And this in this scenario, the monkey was literally being a trickster just so he could survive. It was like, oh yeah, this guy's gonna probably kill me, whether he knows it or not. If we had thought about this and come up with a logical solution, they could have taken just a tiny bit of the liver because the, the liver is one of those ones that can, you know, it can rebuild itself and it can do a lot of essential functions for the rest of the body. So they could have just taken a bite-sized portion. Yeah, quite frankly, if they had, the jellyfish just had a couple more brain cells going on <laughs> and the king had, you know, thought to explain maybe a bit more, Maybe the king was, like, very, like, legitimate. Like, yeah, he's going to have a really happy life here. Like, because we'll have the surgery. He'll have time to recover. He'll be okay. Like, we're going to do this, op like, as a proper procedure. But, like, maybe mm -hmm. just none of this was communicated. It's the miscommunication trope. Yes. I mean, that's us being generous. I think it's clear. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think they had the technology at that time. Um, and well, I'm even not if sure they if... did, I feel like one lowly monkey versus your dragon wife, empress of the, the dragon realm, you're kind yeah. of like, I guess we'll just pick one over the other. But I'm glad they made the decisions they made because it led to our story. Yes, and it was a very delightful story. It was. And we hope we made you laugh. Yeah, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, as we kind of mentioned a bit at the top, next time you'll see us or you'll hear from us. We'll be doing our obligatory holiday-themed episodes, <laughs> um, which we're quite looking forward to that. We might have a special, that might be a, the next one might be a bit special. Uh, we have something kind of different going on with that, but you're going to have to stick around to find out what that is. Until then, if you want to hear more from us and find out what our next tale will be, come join us anytime on literally every social media site. We are on Twitter, X, Instagram, TikTok, Mastodon, Blue Sky, and most importantly, the best place to find us will always be our website, talesfromthechanforest.com. If you are old school like Sparrow, you can always email us at talesfromthechanforest at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your questions, comments, and suggestions, so if you have anything to share, please don't hesitate, including a funny story that will make us laugh and get us through this harsh, harsh winter. And remember, there's always a place for you in the Enchanted Forest. <laughs>